Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for BVAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their BVAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Reba and she is going to share birth stories with us. So Reba, do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Sure. So my name is Reba. I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I've lived here my whole life. I have five kiddos for our birth kiddos and one is a bonus um, from a relationship I guess we'll call it that it's complicated Uh, (laughs) but he still counts let's see here we've got a dog and two cats previously we've had a hedgehog he passed not too long ago so we still count him Um, (laughs) it's kind of a fun pet too you don't hear that one very often oh yeah he's he's definitely a fun one we miss him so much his name was Edgar Allan Polk Oh, uh, <laughs> that's so cute. We're we're very um, quirky with our animal names. We've got our dog is a, a basset hound. His name is Jethro. And then our two cats are Samson. He's my fat one. And then Persephone with three R's. Um, <laughs> it's a very important detail. <laughs> that is. Oh, but, that's awesome. But yeah, we're a busy group. We are always on the go between soccer and hockey and gymnastics and now Girl Scouts. I recently decided to step up and volunteer as a troop leader for my daughter's Girl Scout troop. First year, never done it before in my life. And I'm like, what the heck did I just sign up for? But here we are. (laughs) Yeah, you are busy. Goodness. We we stay busy. I, uh, don't work much anymore. I do. Uh, I am a certified doula. Um, I have a medical background working in hospital as a CNA, but had to stop when my daughter was born um, just because I couldn't work 12 hour shifts with baby at home. It just didn't work, especially with nursing. I've nursed all of my kiddos as we'll get into later, (laughs) but Um, It was really important for me. So I gave up my job for my kiddos and uh, now I'm just a mom and that's a a full-time job and times three. Yes, it is. I guess I can start with my first. Um, Yeah, yeah, go right ahead. My first is Aiden. His birthday is actually today. He just turned 11. He was my first. Um, I, I did have a loss before him. I had a stillbirth. I don't talk a lot about it more just because there was so much trauma and I was young. I was really young, but, um, I lost my first at 24 weeks, um, unexplained stillbirth, no idea why. And, and I was quite frankly, I was 16 when I got pregnant, 17 when I lost him. So I, I don't, sorry, I said that wrong. I was 15 when I got pregnant, 16 when I lost him. It was just after my birthday. And um, <clears throat> so I didn't really know a whole lot. And I mentally, I just kind of blocked it all out. But when I had Aiden, I was 17 when I got pregnant, 18 when I had him. So I, you know, was young, dumb, and stupid. I bought everything they sold me 
pretty much thought I did all the right things, went to all your standard OB appointments and, you know, here I was pushing 40 weeks and they're talking, oh, you need to do an induction. Oh, you need to do an induction. Your baby's big and all these things. And, you know, I'm 18 years old. What do I know? Who am I to question a doctor? Right. So I was like, can we wait just a little bit? Like that seems rushed. I wasn't ready. They were like, we'll, we'll push you off just a little bit longer. We'll do NSTs, um, which is a a non-stress test on the baby and everything turned back fine. Um, They were just worried that I was past my due date and that wasn't okay. So I ended up scheduling an induction against my better judgment. And I was actually going back on my uh, Facebook memories couple days ago and was actually looking at how I changed my induction date like eight different times and one point I was like oh well it was uh because so and so had to work and couldn't be there and like just reading that now and knowing what I know now I just cringed at that like why would you schedule an induction around somebody else's life like that's awful (laughs) but well uh, and I think that can speak to the necessity of inductions at times oh, too. Yeah. Like if you're able to reschedule it based on something that in the grand scheme of things maybe doesn't really matter. It definitely doesn't affect the baby, you know, like if so-and-so right. is working, the baby doesn't know or care or whatever. So I just, I, yeah, just wanted to jump in and say like that Absolutely. definitely points to how hospitals can push these inductions and say, yes. well, you need to be induced. Your chances of X, Y, and Z go way up and yada, yada, yada. But in reality, is that actually the case? Exactly. Exactly. So we went ahead and scheduled his induction. They um, started, um, I can't even remember everything they did. I know they did Cytotec. They ended up doing um, Pitocin. They did a Foley bulb. And I'm, I spent 28 hours with an induction and couldn't get me past a five. All I learned from that was you can't make a baby come that's not ready to come. But, you know, after so long of going through all the hoops of a very long induction, you know, I ended up getting the epidural because they told me, oh, you can't, you can't handle this. You're going to need the break. You have to have it. And so, you know, I got the epidural, which didn't take and um, they redid it. It was just getting to the point where at 28 hours, they were like, we, we can't do this anymore. And all of a sudden his heart rate started dropping. So, you know, that was when the whole team came in and, um, they started, I remember them turning me from side to side, trying to keep his heart rate up and total side note, but, um, we actually recorded a show. It was for TLC called baby's first day for anyone who's heard of it, they ended up not airing my episode because I was too young and didn't meet the company's parameters that they wanted for viewers. Um, Yeah, that's what they said. They're like, this isn't teen mom. And I was like, okay. (laughs) But like, it was so crazy because, you know, I remember like, I don't remember a whole lot because it was so traumatic. I think a big part of me just kind of shut it all out. Um, but also because I was so drugged, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember looking back at the video that they showed me 
of it and being like, oh my gosh, now I remember that. But like, you know, it was so calm for a while and just long and a lot of sleeping. And then all of a sudden it was cameras in the room and everybody was like freaking out and, oh, your baby's, you know, not doing well. We need to take him. We need to, we need to go and get him out with a cesarean. And, um, so of course I didn't know any better. And so I was like, okay, and ended up going in and I just, I remember shaking. I was so scared. And now I also know that's, it's a big part of birth, um, <laughs> you know, but they don't tell you that they tell you, oh, it's the nerves. It's, it's the fear. And it's like this huge perpetuating fear cycle that they start. And it, it just, it just snowballs, you know what I mean? And I remember being back there and then running the circle blade across my stomach to see if I was numb enough yet to start cutting. And I was shaking so bad. My husband at the time was not with me yet. He was still gowning up and they were miking him up for the show. And so it took him longer to get back in the OR with me. And like, I asked somebody to hold my hand and they gave me a water bottle to hold on to. I kid you not. Oh my gosh. It was, it was so traumatic. Like I could still feel them checking for feeling. And I kept telling them, I was like, no, you cannot cut me. Like I can feel that. And they were like, we don't have time. So he tried to cut me. And if you look closely on my incision, you can actually see where they started my incision. And I, I remember screaming and I don't remember anything else after that. And, uh, apparently that's when they put me under general anesthesia and got him out. I don't remember any of it. I don't remember holding my baby for the first time. I don't remember seeing him. I, I, I really don't remember any of it. And, you know, those first few days in the hospital were all a blur. I remember the first time that I held him and feeling so scared that I was going to drop him because I was just that weak. Who wants that to be their first memory of holding their baby and their first memory of motherhood? You know, those are crucial, crucial, crucial moments Mm -hmm. in a mom's life. And um, I will never be able to get those back, you know, and that's something I've struggled with for a very long time. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing all of that too. And just touching on what you were saying about you feel like maybe your mind just kind of blocked things out. That's actually, it's been interesting. The last couple interviews that I've done, I've heard that same thing from multiple people now. And that's something that I experienced myself too with my son's birth. I I feel like I have the memories through the pictures and videos that we have, but I can't remember anything like firsthand. So if I didn't have those pictures and videos, I would have had no idea what was going on or like a timeline or anything like that. So it's just really interesting that you said that too. It, it's crazy how that happens, but it's, it's definitely a trauma response that we really have no control over, but it wasn't really until I got home from the hospital and I just, I remember it, like, it was my first, like really conscious moment. Um, I got home 
and I was sitting in a chair in my living room, just holding him in my lap. And I just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just started bawling hysterically. Like I'm a mom, like, and, and every, my grandmother and my husband came in and they're like, all checking on me. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's wrong? Are you hurting? Like, do you need your pain meds? And I was like, I have a baby and like I couldn't get anything else out. Like I was just so overcome with emotion because here I have this baby in my lap and I, I couldn't even tell you what it was like, you know, I I don't remember. And it was, it was really hard. I ended up because I guess I was so young, the, um, the hospital paired me up with a social work program called nurses for newborns. And, um, my nurse, she came out to the house, you know, at first it was every other day or so. And then every couple of weeks and, you know, just gradually over time, it was distanced out, but I had a nurse named Chris and she was an absolute lifesaver. I bonded with her so much. She had also, um, her son, died of SIDS shortly after birth. So I think we bonded over that, um, with my first pregnancy, um, just the loss and the grief, like she was the first person that ever really understood what that was like, you know, cause I'd never been around other people who had experienced loss to that magnitude. So it wasn't until after I you know, really got to talk with her and start working through my emotions that I decided like he was, he was about six months old. And I just decided, I was like, you know, I'm, I want to know more. Like, I want to know how I got to this point because birth shouldn't be like this. You know, it, it just shouldn't be. I knew that this wasn't normal. There, there was something that had to have, you know, something that led to it. And so that was right around when um, Business of Being Born was first put on Netflix. And she had told me about it. She's like, you need to watch this documentary. She's like, I just watched it. It's really good. And I'm totally a, a nerd when it comes to documentaries and stuff. And so I watched it and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, that's what happened to me. Like, I I had no clue that I thought I was the only one, you know, you, you hear this story about failed inductions and it's you, you know, you're the problem. And that's, that's just how it went for you. But then you watch it and you realize that everybody is going through this. It's not just you, you know, it's, it's a flaw in the system. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's awful. And uh, that's when I was like, I cannot do this. I will never do this again. And I knew that whenever I had another baby, it was going to be different. And so that's when I started learning everything I could get my hands on about birth. Um, you know, I wanted to make it right, not just for me, but for my babies. So then my third pregnancy that ended up in a, um, ectopic, I ended up losing a tube and an ovary at 13 weeks, wow. more trauma. 
Cause yeah, I, I was that. just gonna say <laughs> that's so much to go through too. And it then to still just, we were kind of talking before we started recording, but just to be like where you are now with everything and having that full trust in your body after everything that you had gone through up until this point is, it's just incredible. Exactly. And it's, it's definitely come full circle. And I'm so thankful that I've learned to find trust in my body again, um, because it's hard, you know, it's hard. And I, I still remember being there in the first days after my first was born and, you know, really struggling with that because I didn't trust my body. I didn't trust the system. I still don't trust the system, but I at least know now that my body was not the issue. I was not the issue. It, it's the system. There is a flawed system and so many people don't realize it. But my second baby, fourth pregnancy, you know, pregnancy was great. It was what I'd call quote unquote normal. Um, no issues there. You know, I, I advocated for myself strongly. I got a midwife instead of an OB this time around. And was this I one was, in the hospital setting too? So yes, I ended up going through a hospital setting because um, I was a, a VBAC. This was my first VBAC. So they would allow me, quote unquote, allow me to toe lack. And like, even now, like, it's the most annoying word ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and condescending. Like, yes, exactly. Like, oh, it just grinds my gears. But, you know, when I went to find my, my midwife, I thought I was doing it right. You know, I knew not to trust them, but I had already made up my mind that I was going to wait until the last minute possible to go into the hospital because my best chances of having a successful VBAC would be to labor at home as long as possible and not be in the hospital where they could manipulate the situation. Um, I wanted to make sure I was more than far enough along to um, be stopped or hindered at all in that process. Um, So, you know, it, it went the same way as Aiden's birth did at first 41 or 40 weeks came by and they're pushing me for an induction. I said, sorry, it's not going to happen. And, you know, I'll consent to NSTs and whatever else you want to. I said, but unless you can show me definitive proof that he needs to be born right now, then, then it's not going to happen. You know, it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, um, she ended up coming spontaneously at 41 and three. She came at 41 weeks and three days, went into labor at 41 and two. It was actually Aiden's first day of kindergarten that I went into labor with her. Labor was new because, you know, labor, physiological labor is nothing like manipulated induct you know, an induction labor, um, you know, with Aiden's, I couldn't even tell you what an actual contraction felt like. I couldn't explain it. I don't, like I said, I completely blocked that from my memory. I I don't even remember it. 
So it was very new. Like I didn't know what all to expect, but I just somehow knew when I was laboring at home that it was normal and it was okay. Um, you know, we were sitting at home, laying in bed, watching Netflix, just chilling. And I just kind of started recognizing that contractions were coming. And so I kind of ignored it and kept it to myself as like a secret because I didn't want to jinx it. You know, (laughs) you don't ever want to like tell somebody and then they'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I was like, I don't know. It was kind of cool that it was just between me and my baby. And um, we were sitting there watching Netflix. I started trying to like time them in my head. And like I kept touching. I remember I kept touching the mouse to see what where the time was on the show. So I could try and time it. They were about seven minutes apart or so. You know, by the time the movie was or the show was over, I was finally like, I think I'm in labor. (laughs) And I was so, I was so excited. I ended up going outside and walking around outside. Um, I was, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I had gotten divorced from my son's father and was with someone else. But we were living with his family at the time. And so of course they didn't know at all what to expect with birth. This was their first encounter, first grandchild. And it was just very, they were, they were new to it. They didn't know how to hold space for me. So I tried to labor as far away from them as possible. Um, You know, I, I just did a lot of laps in the yard just to be out in nature. Don't know why I chose to do that. It just felt right. And I'm really sorry. You're going to have to have a fun time editing out the baby. <laughs> That's time. okay. Baby sounds are very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it labor started about, it was about 7.30 that night. And, um, I ended up having a friend. She was an old childhood friend. You know, Uh, like I said, we were living with his family and didn't have a whole lot of money. I wasn't working at the time. I'd stopped working at that point. So I didn't have the money to hire a doula. But there was a friend of mine that I grew up with a long time ago. Our brothers were in Cub Scouts together. And I knew she was like, she was a birth nerd like me. She um, actually was... I asked her one day, I just got, got brave. And I was like, I know this is kind of weird. And I know I haven't talked to you in years, but would you be interested in, you know, supporting me when I give birth? You know, I just, I need somebody who knows that birth is normal and isn't scared of it. And she had actually just gotten, she just found out she was pregnant. Um, And so that's how I knew I'd asked her like maybe a week before I ended up going into labor. So it was past my due date at that point, but I just, I needed somebody on my side, you know? So I called her, she lived about an hour away and she ended up coming over and she was tired. So she took a nap and I went and got in the bathtub and labored in the bathtub for a while. And again, it was just this overwhelming sense of peace and knowing that my body was doing what it needed to do. It wasn't interfered by anyone else's emotions or anything like that. I I could control my surroundings enough. 
I was quiet enough to where I don't think anyone else was very aware that I was in labor at that point, which was crazy because there were like seven people living in that house at one time. <laughs> it was nuts. But of course, morning came <laughs> and they were all woke up to the sound of me having full on active labor contractions. I was outside in a sports bra and very, very not so much. They were, I don't, they were booty shorts. I was going to try and use a better word for them, but that's what they were. (laughs) Let's just call them what they were. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I was outside on a birth ball in the middle of nowhere, just moaning away. And they're all like, what in the world is going on? And like, you know. For people like me, knowing what I know, that's totally normal. That's totally cool. But people who don't know anything about birth were like, what's going on? She needs to go to the, she needs to go to the hospital. Like she's in labor. Like it was just like all of a sudden zero to 100, they were freaking out. And um, they actually tried to call an ambulance for me. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not going to hospital. And I was like, I'm not ready. I was like, my water hasn't broken. My, my vitals are fine. You know, I tried to use the, the medical knowledge that I had from working in the hospital to my advantage. And was like, look, my vitals are fine. You know, baby's fine. Heart rate's fine. There's no reason for me to be in hospital. This is normal, but alas, nobody, nobody cared. (laughs) Um, and so I told them, you know, I told, um, my boyfriend at the time was like, look, said, if it will give you peace of mind, I said, I will go to my midwife's office when it opens. I said, but I will not go to the hospital until I'm ready. I said, I just, I won't. I said, I'm not ready to be there. She doesn't need to be there and neither do I. So we waited and we started heading out to the midwife's office. It was about seven 30. I will just note. So for people who don't know, like your mental state when you're in labor, it has a huge impact, so much more of an impact than anybody will recognize, especially in a hospital. But if you're in a mental state where you can't focus on just being and surrendering to your body's natural process, you will not be able to, like, it it doesn't work, you know? And like my contractions, I was probably nearing transition before everybody woke up. Um, I mean, I was having maybe three minute long contractions, a minute and a half apart. And um, all of a sudden when everybody started, you know, trying to call an ambulance and questioning me and how far along I was, you know, like everything just stopped. labor stopped they my contractions spaced back out again and it was just my body's way of saying hey I feel threatened now I'm gonna stop doing what I need to do and um it was crazy I'm so glad you brought that up because I always tell moms too if they're having a hospital birth it's not uncommon for that to happen when you have to go through triage and get an IV and do all these things that they do to you because it's your body's way of protecting your baby. Exactly. It's the same way as if a deer were having a baby out in the wild. If a predator comes up to that mom while she's in labor, 
she's going to stop birthing and go take her baby to safety and get to safety before she has a baby. She's not going to have a baby with a predator around. And it's the same way at the same, at the end of the day, we're, we are animals, whether or not we like to acknowledge that or agree with it, whatever, whatever your stance is on that, that argument, it does not change the fact that that's what we are. And it's just one of those animalistic, you know, very primal instincts that we have no control over and you can't control it. You, you can only surrender to it. And, um, there's definitely something to be said for that. So at that point, seven 30, we were headed to my midwife's office, which was right across the street from the hospital. So I knew we would be close, but we were over there and, you know, they, she brought me in and he's like, I remember her dad was so pissed at me and he's sitting there with his arms crossed. Will you please tell her to go to the hospital now? And my midwife comes in and she, she looks at me and she looks at him. She's like, he's like, I'm sorry, sir, but I can't tell her that. He said, yes, she is in labor, but she is okay. Your baby is okay. And she's doing a hell of a job. And I was like, Thank you so much. Finally, like, some validation. Like first, yes, it was like my first taste of validation. I was like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> so, the way you were laboring but, sounded like a dream when you were described I as being outside on the was. ball. Yes, and definitely it was. It was so dreamy. Like, I, man, if I could just like put it in a bottle. It was totally, it was totally dreamy. It really was. And so, you know, she was like, I'm perfectly fine with her laboring until she's ready to go to the hospital. There's no sense of fighting her on that. So I was like, thank you so much. And so we ended up, I let him go and drive over to the hospital and we just parked in the parking garage and I started walking around and I was just kind of working through my contractions And, um, as we were pulling into the parking garage, we hit a speed bump (laughs) all of a sudden I feel this pop and my water just started gushing. (laughs) I was like, I felt so bad because I was in my friend's car and my water broke all over her back seat. And I was like, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but like whatever, whenever my water broke, I felt her engage and like I could literally feel her body just slide into position in my pelvis and I was like it's time to go and so we started walking um into uh labor and delivery I mean there's water leaking all down my legs and everything and they keep asking me to get a wheelchair I was like no I'm walking (laughs) it was so funny Um, but I was so adamant about walking and not sitting in a wheelchair. I was not going to succumb to their system (laughs) because I am stubborn. Well, and And, it's not like you hadn't been walking around up until that point anyway. Exactly. And so after we got there, it was really fast. Um, it was 12 minutes actually from the time that I was admitted on my timestamp on my admission papers to the time that she was born. And I've come to find after now having three VBACs 
Um, I now know that that's, that's pretty much how my body gives birth. I labor hard and long, usually go past eight. And, um, once I hit transition and my water breaks, I usually got about 10 minutes to have a few pushes and babies, babies in my arms. Um, and it's, it's been consistent every time since with all of my VBACs, which is pretty cool. I think just to be able to recognize that, um, and shows like how your own body has its own rhythm and its own pattern. I think it's really cool. So how did the Um, hospital staff react to baby coming so quickly after being admitted? So, well, when we were there, like, I remember they brought me in. They hadn't even gotten an IV started, but they were like, like, oh, well, you're a VBAC. You're a VBAC, so um, anesthesia has to come and talk to you in case we have to have another cesarean. And I was like, okay, whatever. They can come and talk to me, but I'm not going to listen to a damn word they have to say. So I remember I've actually got a picture of, um, Aiden, my oldest, when I was in labor, he was, <laughs> I was sitting on the bed on all fours, naked, completely naked. And, uh, I was on my hands and knees laboring and the anesthesiologist is in the background. You, if you look at it, I mean, Aiden is in focus, so you can't even see me unless you look in the background, but I'm sitting there laboring on the hospital bed, but I remember the anesthesiologist talking and I'm just completely going, paying attention to my contractions, completely tuning him out. And at one point he stopped and he's like, are you even listening to me? I said, nope, you're just here because your hospital policy says you have to be here. It doesn't say anything about me having to listen to you. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a little busy right now. Uh, (laughs) Good for you. Like I was crowning at that point. And I've always been able to kind of be aware of my surroundings you know I don't uh, it's a very uh it's a very primal primitive state where you are aware like you are so in tune to what's going on inside but you've also got to be aware of what's going on around you outside and I think that's something like I don't know a lot of people talk about not being able not being aware Like that's a stage that you learn about in labor, not being aware of what's around you. And, you know, that's normally when the clothes come off and you know what I mean? For somebody who, who knows about birth and has studied it, that, that is something that I tell you about, um, to be look on the lookout for, for progression and stuff. Um, but it's something I've always been personally, it almost seems like I'm more hyper aware of what's going on around me. And I don't know if that's a trauma response or what, um, cause it, it would make sense if it is, but you know, the anesthesiologist was like, final save my breath pretty much. And, uh, had me sign a paper and walked out. That was when she started crowning. Um, it took, about two contractions to get her head out completely. And then like, I don't know. And I know I'm going to totally sound terrible and cringy, but like, I was like, I started to panic because her head was out and I was like, am I suffocating her? Like, can she breathe? 
So like, I just remember trying to push and I didn't have a contraction. I just needed to push her out. I didn't want to hurt her. And, you know, now I also know that that was, it happens. That's a normal response to have. And there's, I've seen so many moms in my mom groups and birth groups that ask that question, but you can wait. It's okay. You're not hurting your baby. They're getting all the oxygen they need from their umbilical cord. So take the time and wait for a contraction. There's no reason to force your body to push when you don't have the urge to push. And, you know, like I I remember after her head was out, I was just like freaking out. Like I was asking the medical, the hospital staff, like, what do I do? What do I do? Like her head's out. And everybody said, Reba, you know what to do. Just stop and listen to your body listen to your body and have your baby. And like, I just, in that moment, I, I did what I thought I needed to do, but I wasn't really listening to my body. And so I I just pushed and she came out and three pushes after that. And it was just instantaneous relief. I did tear. Um, it was like a first degree tear. It wasn't very very major, but as so happens when you push, when you don't have contractions and when you don't listen to your body, we have body reactions for a reason. But I, I just remember this overwhelming sense of relief and that I did it. I did it. And she was here and she was safe. And I, I thought that I was safe. And, um, that's when things kind of turned with her birth. Um, you know, that's when they were like, okay, well, is it okay if we start an IV and give you Pitocin now? And I was so just on cloud nine with this precious little girl that I just gave birth to vaginally did not have to have them cut me open. Cause my body is not a lemon. Then I was like, okay, sure. Do whatever you want to do. She's here. It, the rest of it doesn't matter. And it definitely does matter. They did Pitocin. They did traction on my umbilical cord. And I was so just, I wasn't even paying attention to them. I didn't even know that that was something I needed to look out for. And, but because of active management protocols told them that my placenta has to be out within 30 minutes, they unnecessarily pulled my placenta out before it had detached from my uterine wall, which ultimately led to a postpartum hemorrhage. I did not know this at at the time. You know, she was pushing on my stomach and pulling out my placenta. And I remember her telling me, oh, well, you might pass a pretty large blood clot later is what she said. And I'm thinking here, like, that's weird. How would she know that? But okay, whatever. And just kind of passed it off. I I had this baby that I was so focused on. I didn't even care at the time. And because up until that point, I'd always just focused on what I could do to ensure my chances of having a a successful VBAC. I didn't focus on anything else. The after, um, it was just how to get that baby out of my vagina. So the next morning, you know, everything was fine. I had normal after birth, but then the next morning they came 
it was like four o'clock. I woke up in the morning and, um, they had come in and taken her to the nursery without waking me, without telling me. And I just remember waking up and she was gone and I panicked. I jumped out of bed and I just, I flung around that corner to the nurse's station so fast. And as soon as I rounded the corner, I felt just a sudden drop in my underwear. And I was like, what the heck was that? Like, I knew it, it had weight to it, but I was so focused on finding her first that I didn't even think about it. I got to the nursery and that's where I found her and I, I went off because I was so mad that they took her from me without telling me. And as soon as I got her, that's when I started getting really lightheaded. And, um, I had casually told the nurse, I said, I think I passed that blood clot that you were telling me about. And she's like, we'll go to the bathroom. And if it's bigger than a fist, then call me in there. And I said, okay. So, and I mean, I have small fists, but still that's, that's pretty big. Right. And so I, um, went to the bathroom and when I tell you this thing was like half the size of my baby, it was half the size of my baby. It was absolutely massive. And it was because it was still stuck on my uterine wall and was just accumulating blood. I mean, I was just gushing blood at that point. So instantly they put me in Trendelenburg and um, give me more Pitocin and did fundal massage and stopped it. But it was super scary. You know what I mean? Like once again, I naively trusted the system to care for me. And here I am again, even after I had a vaginal birth, there were still complications afterwards because of their quote unquote protocols that are in place to supposedly keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why is this happening? It, it can't, how is this happening again? And then on top of their protocols and everything that they did to you, then taking your baby out of your room in the middle exactly. of the night without saying anything. I mean, that's traumatic for any mother, regardless really of the situation is. or the circumstances. That is horrible. It was, it was truly terrifying. It was so terrifying. And like, after I found her, like, I couldn't even focus on that because I was so lightheaded because it, it just all hit all at once. And I, I couldn't even process that. Like there was no way it was like, your body just chooses to focus on one thing just to get you through that moment. And I mean, I was so upset by them taking her and then I just, I knew that she was safe and that my body could move on to, to the next thing as terrible as that sounds, but that's how they get away with it. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's how they get away with it. And that's so sad to think about. So then after her, I ended up pregnant with my number four. Look, he's my third live birth. We call him number four because he came after I met my current boyfriend and his son. He's got an eight-year-old. So um, our numbers are weird. <laughs> <laughs> so you said he's eight now and your oldest yes. is 11? He's eight now. Yes. He just turned 11 today. And okay. Kinsey, um, Kinsey, who is my second live birth, 
Um, she just turned five in August. So when I got pregnant with, we'll say my third, I decided that I was going to join the radical group of free birthers. And I had no idea what that was at first. I don't even remember how I ended up in a group. I just, I knew that something had to be different and it needed to be big different. Once again, I was poor. I'm still poor Uh, (laughs) for the record. (laughs) I didn't have the money for a home birth with a midwife. Um, my insurance wouldn't cover it because I'm a VBAC and like so many obstacles, like you can't, they tell you, you can't anyways, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that. And we can't cover you if you go past 42 weeks. And I'm like, but I always go late. Like, I'm not going to put out thousands of dollars for a midwife knowing there is a very high chance that she's not going to be able to legally attend my birth because of my due date. And because baby decides to come two weeks late. Like I just, I can't, I can't fathom that. And I think in the long run, it would just add more pressure to me that I would not go into labor spontaneously. I just wouldn't do it. And I will say like Kenzie's birth. um, So she was my second birth, first feedback in the hospital. Hers was my first, like really my only truly spontaneous labor that like came without me doing anything to bring it on. Now, no, she wasn't induced. Like none of mine. Well, the Aiden was my only, that was like medically induced, but as I'll talk about later, I kind of egged my others on, (laughs) so to speak. So With Briar, his, you know, the plan was for me to go to standard prenatal care throughout pregnancy just for that peace of mind that I told myself that I needed, didn't really need it, but, you know, I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to just go guns blazing, balls to the wall, I'm a radical free birther now, you know, the ones that you hear about on the radio and stuff and how they're killing their babies because they're being reckless. And like, that's not what it is at all. Like it is just not, it's not as taboo as society likes to make it out to be. Well, and, and there's usually way more intention behind exactly. choosing that route than there is just going along with the mainstream narrative of going to yeah. your OB and doing all the appointments and just doing everything that they tell you to do. Exactly. Like you, there is so much, and intention is the word that I needed. I'm terrible with words, but intention is definitely the word that, that I would use to describe it because it, it is a very intentional decision. You're not just making a fly by the seat. I think I'm going to have my baby at home and not go to the hospital, you know, but there's so many hours of prepping. There's so much that goes into making that decision. It's not something that's taken lightly, but I knew that for me, that was going to be my safest option. You know, I had trusted the system twice and both times they had failed me and I, I refused to do it again. I just, I couldn't do it. And so 
I did all of my routine prenatal care that was covered by my insurance because that's what society tells you you have to do. And um, so I'm assuming they didn't know that you were planning to free birth. <laughs> no, they did not. They did not. And they did not like me after that. And what's funny is, um, so after Kinsey was born, that's when I got my uh, certification as a doula. What's even funnier now is now that I know everything that I know, I don't even keep up that quote unquote certification. Um, cause I don't feel that I need it to do what I love to do, which is be there and witness birth and help hold space in whatever, whatever way a mom needs me to. But I actually ended up, uh, I had attended a friend of mine's birth at uh, baby and company as her doula. And I was, I was like 36 weeks pregnant and <laughs> it was funny, but, um, but it was kind of, it was cool to see how they do birth, but it was also um, when you've been through the system as many times as I have, you kind of start to, to learn the, the sleight of hand tricks that they do. It's, it's sad because you see all these moms who choose that because it's, it's a boutique, you know, salon center type thing and not a standard, you know, eggshell white tile floor hospital it's pretty and it's relaxing and that that's why moms choose it and it has nothing to do with if it's safer or if it's better it's strictly because it's prettier and when all of that is stripped away at the end of the day like that does not matter it helps yes but it doesn't matter and you would you would much rather know what you're getting into before it comes to that point but so anyways, I got my prenatal care through them, ended up having excessive fluid with him. So they were pushing me about that. And I did enough research to feel comfortable with it. I knew my risks. I knew the risks of premature rupture. And they were monitoring me closely every other day. I was going in for, for NSTs. And um, BPPs, which are biophysical profile tests, you know, every time it was the same thing. He was fine. It, there was no, you know, indication that he was in distress. It was strictly that I had too much fluid on in my sack. And a big part of that was probably because I was eating so much ice because I was anemic. Well, and people, Naturally. they don't tell you that either, that your no, fluid levels don't. can be affected by if you're by dehydrated you or overhydrated. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, that's, that doesn't surprise me at all. Like literally I would go to Chick-fil-A and I know this sounds terrible. Judge me, but I would go to Chick-fil-A every single day and eat an entire two pound bag of ice every day. It was not surprising that I had um, excessive fluid. It just, it wasn't surprising to me. And I was like, okay, but um, I never really took anything up, but, you know, I just took it at, with a grain of salt. I learned about what the possible side effects of that could be. And um, I was okay with that. You know, I took that initiative to 
to learn what could potentially be and what I would need to do in those circumstances. But that was okay. You know, that was a liability that I was willing to live with. Um, Because really and truly, I mean, risk is, it's just perceptive. And, you know, it was something I was willing to quote unquote risk. And so Um, much, just with you mentioning the word liability, so much policy is built around not your liability, but the hospital's liability. Because if they have it documented that you have excess fluid and then something happens that could be, could draw back to having that excess fluid, my goodness, I cannot talk, that that's on them. So a lot of times when you're talking about risks and why providers push for certain things when they see these different markers, it's to protect their butts, not necessarily to protect you or your baby. Exactly. So that was, that was that, you know, like they kept pushing me because of my excess fluid. Oh, well, you need to have an induction. I said, I'm not having an induction. I know what my risks are. I know that my risks for having complications of a failed induction greatly outnumber my risks associated with having a vaginal birth with excess fluids. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's not, no, you're not going to scare me into having another induction. And we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And um, they ended up at 41 weeks scheduling me for an induction that I did not consent to. Didn't even know they did it until he was born. So it was, I had an appointment on 41 and one, and I went into labor with him on 41 and two. I I mean, I just left the office and I told him like explicitly, like I was stupid enough to consent to a stretch and sweep. And my OB was so aggressive with it. Like I felt like he was intentionally trying to break my waters like he was that forceful and I mean mind you this was my third baby at that point I've had many many cervical checks and none have ever been that aggressive and it was like he was intentionally trying to break my water and that pissed me off I was so mad and I was so angry um, that he would do that. And I, I just, I stormed out because he spent about an hour before he did that, um, during the consultation part of our appointment, just trying to talk me into having an induction. I was like, no, it's not going to happen. Like, how do you not understand that? No means no. Mm-hmm. Like it, it pissed me off even more that he thought that that was acceptable and that he was going to be able to talk me into it. Like it, and then it's, when he couldn't insane. talk you into it to yeah, try to force it to happen. to force it. And I mean, that's when we have people coming in, like other moms talking about being raped. And that's a strong word, strong, strong word. But like when they talk about being raped by their providers, I can see that. I, that's not the word I use, but I can see how a woman would walk away and feel like that. Um, because it was, it was awful. It was truly awful, but I, I just knew that I, it just even more cemented in my foundation that I was not going to have this baby in a hospital, certainly was not going to trust him to deliver my baby. 
at that point, the next day, I was, I was just so done with being pregnant. Um, I was 41 and two. And as much as it's even crazier, because it was on my birthday. And I did not want to have him on my birthday. Um, (laughs) My birthday is December 9th. And I felt like that would be the worst way to put a baby on, to have his birthday on his mom's birthday. But it was just, it was so overwhelming. I was so done being pregnant. I could not do it anymore. I just had to get this baby out. And so that's when I took a shower, got out and was nipple stimulating, bouncing on my ball. And I was able to get contractions started and uh, I just kept it up until they didn't stop anymore. And what do you know, here comes labor. And it was awesome. I was like, yes, we're here. I've accomplished this. I immediately, I was so excited. I did say, so I had rented a uh, birth pool from another doula that I had gotten certified with. So I started filling that up and was so excited and pumped. It was like, this is going to be awesome. This was my first home birth and everything I'd been hoping for. And uh, yeah, (laughs) my fiance was ridiculous. And um He thought it would be a great idea to fill up my tub, connecting the hose to my shower head. And when he did that, he did not connect it correctly. And so it leaked all over the bathroom, all the way to the bedroom that I had the pool in. And so he flooded my bathroom and there went all of my clean towels that I just washed and sanitized to have for the birth. And I was like, are you kidding me? And like the way our laundry room set up, we don't have access to our dryer. So you have to go to the laundromat to dry it. And I was like, I'm in labor. And now you have to go to the laundromat because we have no towels. I was furious. And so a friend of ours ended up having his mom bring me towels I guess she had just gotten married and got like a new set for her wedding so she brought me a bunch of old towels so that was awesome it was just it was a lot to try and figure out like the first time like hiccups of doing something new but like it was cool it was great it's all part of the story exactly and like I ended up so there was a girl I'm totally for teaching new people who want to learn about birth like somebody's got to do it you know what I mean and nobody's going to do it if you don't give somebody a chance and so there was a girl that had posted in one of my local birth groups who was not yet certified as a doula but was looking for a certifying birth and so I told her I said hey I don't know if it's something you're comfortable with I am planning to have an unassisted birth at home But if you're comfortable with it, you're welcome to be my doula. And I was like, really, it's not hard. I just need somebody to do counter pressure and hold space. That's all I need. So she was down for it. Only her phone was on silent. (laughs) Rookie mistake. And so like when I called her at like 11 o'clock saying, hey, I'm in labor, her phone was off. And so that caused a little bit of panic. (laughs) 
Um, and I was like, she's not here. <laughs> so in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to be stuck with this idiot that just flooded my bathroom and ruined my <laughs> towels. And that's all I have. <laughs> and like, now I know better. I didn't need anybody. I could do it myself if I wanted to, but it was just so funny. Like, it's funny looking back that that's how I was rationalizing things. And like, I remember my son, he woke up, he was so excited because this was his second birth that he had seen. And he was so excited to be a part of it and making me soup and tea when I was in labor. And um, he ended up making like a fresh cup of like a whole fresh pot of sweet tea. And he spilled the entire gallon of sweet tea all in all in the kitchen on the floor bless his heart and it was it was just the cute little things that you like it all just snowballed you know it wasn't bad it was just funny because that's how my life is it's it tends to be a cluster but I still went with it you know and I was still able to labor and you know I lost sight of my breath and I wasn't as focused as I should have been Um, because I was so focused on outside forces, but I still did. Okay. You know, I was managing, um, a lot of counter pressure, a lot of counter pressure. (laughs) I ended up asking because my doula had her phone off. I ended up asking a friend of mine, the girl I mentioned that I, I went to her baby's birth. I ended up asking her to come to mine. (laughs) Hindsight. She had a newborn. That was not a smart idea. Yes, she could be there, but she had a baby in tow. (laughs) So that distracted a little bit, but, you know, she helped. She at least knew, you know, what I did for her. And so she kind of mirrored that back towards me a little bit, all with a newborn there (laughs) already. It was really confusing for some people. When my doula finally showed up that morning, she, she legit said, is that her baby? And I'm like, no, I'm still in labor. (laughs) like it was so funny (laughs) but this all sounds like such a good learning experience it was a very good learning experience and it was so cool though I don't I don't know it was different but it was fun at the end of the day like he came and uh same as Kenzie you know I labored until I hit transition my water broke And then he immediately started crowning and three contractions later, he was out. Like I had ended up because of all the commotion going on, I ended up going and laboring in my kitchen for a while. And so I kind of forgot about my birth tub. So the water got cold and I wasn't able to have him in the water. Like I wanted to, he, he came on the bed. (laughs) Like, let me tell you when my water broke, because I had the excess fluid with him. It was a lot of water. (laughs) I mean, I just remember like paying attention to that. Like it was so strong and so forceful. Like I legit thought I had him. Like I thought he shot out so hard in one, in one fell swoop because it was just so much pressure that was released at once. But no, baby was still in. (laughs) I could just feel him drop. And like I said, 
three pushes later and he was out completely normal beautiful birth and I did it you know I did everything told everyone told me was absolutely crazy and just completely unheard of and I mean yeah I'm crazy but I'm not that weird I guess um I'm a normal person my kids go to public school we (laughs) eat Chick-fil-A and fast food you know I don't like vegetables uh I'm weird but I'm not that weird and birth Uh, is a normal thing yeah like I don't know it's something that people expect like this crazy like super radical you know she's got a bunker in her household type thing and lives on a hippy dippy farm and nope definitely not me so how long was labor then from beginning labor for him was about 18 hours so it was about two hours shorter than Kinsey's was each birth has kind of been about two hours shorter which it probably wouldn't have been had I not had all the first time speed bumps along the way with the bathroom flooding and this tea being spilled all over the kitchen and my doula not answering you know those were all things that contributed to my body kind of slowing down the process but the only like hiccup if you want to call it a hiccup was that my my placenta decided to uh, take forever to come it was six and a half hours later (laughs) which is not very commonly talked about apparently it's normal I don't know everybody like I'd always heard that you would feel an urge to push the placenta out and I didn't and so I didn't want to push and cause unnecessary trauma I think that was also part of me being hypersensitive to it because of having my um postpartum hemorrhage with Kinsey and so it was very much a just leave it alone and let it do its thing don't look at it don't talk to it just just let it come when it's ready and it could (laughs) have been your body it could have been your body being protective too like remembering what happened last time it I definitely think that was a big part of it and so I ended up talking to I posted in one of my unassisted birth groups and um I was like I don't know that that group was so transformative for me like I met some really good people through that that group and um there was a a midwife in the group um she's not your typical you know hospital midwife she's a travel midwife she travels around the world she's really cool but she had ended up commenting on my post and she was like it's totally normal she's like you're fine and you know she told me I could do a couple things you know you can cough into your fist or squat and she you know it wasn't until she messaged me and she was like hey are you afraid of birthing your placenta and I was like no, but when she asked me that, like the first thing, first thing that popped into my head was, yeah, I kind of am, you know, like this was something that I had quote unquote issues with last time that I thought maybe it was once again, my body doing something wrong, 
but it really wasn't my body at all. It was, it was all psychological. And so I just, she's like, you just need to go take a shower. She said, zone out for a little bit. Thank your body for the work it's done. Thank your placenta for the work it's done and let it go. And it sounded so cheesy to me, but that's seriously what I needed to do. And so I did, I, I took her advice for what it was. And as I'm sitting there rolling my eyes with the biggest eye roll, like, oh my God, am I really doing this right now in my shower? But I'm thanking my placenta for the work it's done. And okay, you can go now. And I mean, it was instantly like my body was like okay and so I coughed and it just it fell out on the floor and I'm like well there we have it folks it's done (laughs) well (laughs) so I remember calling my son in and he was so fascinated my oldest he was so fascinated that there was a placenta in my in my bathroom he came in and we looked at it together and inspected it. We talked about how it needed to be complete and, you know, how you look for any missing pieces and why that's important and uh, kind of made it a little science lesson for him. And uh, yeah, I still have my placenta still in my, my fridge today. Well, not my fridge, my freezer. Mm-hmm. I just can't part with it. I don't know what to do with it. We uh, ended up planting my son's see, we talked about encapsulating but we ended up planting it under a tree see i want to plant it but i also live in a a rental and so i don't know i haven't i haven't pulled myself on the trigger i need to I ask heard my some uncle. people doing it in like a potted plant a big potted plant because then you can take it with you that's a good idea i'm gonna mm-hmm. look into that thank <laughs> you for that yeah because now just- i have two <laughs> <laughs> so you need two potted plants <laughs> exactly so um yeah his his birth was awesome it was my first free birth and just totally like I'm a total badass and like my body knows what it's doing I don't need a doctor or a nurse or anybody to tell me how to birth my babies my body knows how to do it itself and it was so so cool I was convinced that I was done only, uh, yeah, my body apparently had other plans. I was on an IUD. It, it apparently migrated up into my um, fallopian, where my missing fallopian tube was. And uh, I just happened to ovulate out of the other side and got pregnant. So um, ended up with um, my fourth live baby. And how long after this was, did, how long after did you get pregnant? 17 months apart. So what is that? Yeah. I don't know. Do the math. Common (laughs) core math, man. But yeah, so I was about eight months pregnant and I was nursing too, mind you. All of my babies have been breastfed. Probably should have said that somewhere. So, and I'm still nursing my number three, but, um, So yeah, when my last pregnancy, when I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, we're just going to go totally, totally off the hook. I forego all prenatal care, never once saw a doctor or a midwife and um, didn't know what I was having. This was my first surprise, which was fun and exciting. Like 
my intuition, I knew it was a boy because I always have boys except for my one wild card, which is a girl. But I knew he was a boy from the get-go. I just had that gut feeling. But, I mean, a couple of times I would check my, like, vitals and stuff um, or measure my belly. But for the most part, I didn't really feel the need to. Um, It was something that was very, for the first time in my life, I just wanted to trust my body fully, you know, and know that if something was wrong, my body would let me know. I'm very in tune with my body after going through my births and the way that I have, you know, I know if something's wrong and I know when I need to, to pay attention to it. And how did that feel compared to doing like the mainstream route, or even when you were seeing the midwives at the birth center? It was completely night and day. Like it was, it was such a relief. Like this last pregnancy and birth was truly what I needed. Like it was, it was so healing um, as cheesy as that sounds. It, It really was like being able to just trust my body on a level that I've never even imagined, you know, that society tells you can't do society tells you can't trust your body that you won't know if stuff, you know, but you don't know, like, no, you do know that's just it. Like you're going to know. And if you just stop and listen and pay attention to what your body's telling you and all the signs that it's putting out, like it's your body communicating with you. You just have to stop and focus on it. Like you can tell a difference and, you know, it, it goes back to what you said, like with the intention of accepting that, um, it's very intentional. And I mean, that's really all, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, it was, I just knew that it was, he was okay and I was okay. And what needed to be done was being done. It was hard because, like family members who knew my past and stuff, they would kind of get in my ear a little bit about it. And we're like, well, what if this goes wrong and this goes wrong? And I'm like, nothing went wrong until somebody intervened with it. Really and truly, let's be honest here and call it what it was. I didn't have issues with Aiden because something went extremely wrong. There was no pre-existing conditions. There was no diabetes or preeclampsia it was the system just can't keep their hands out of my body Mm -hmm. it's literally what it came down to had they not interfered the way it would have you know it would have never gone that way so it was you know just learning to ignore the the outside voices I didn't announce my pregnancy. If you didn't see me within that, those nine months, you had no idea I was pregnant. It was, it was very hush hush because I just didn't need it. You know, I didn't need other people's opinions on it and that was okay. But that time around, I did hire my friend who um, ended up letting me use her birth tub the last time. I was like, I'll go ahead and hire you. What the heck not? Because I didn't want to hire the same girl that um, attended my first birth just because I was afraid the trauma of her not having her phone on was going to resurface. 
And so I figured it would just be better to go a completely different route this time. I loved her so much. She was so sweet and so genuine, but I just felt like for my own mentality, I needed to, to just go a different route this time, but everything was fine. I, uh, kept telling myself that I had to wait because here we are nearing the end of the school year. My daughter had a thing for like a end of the year spring show for gymnastics where she had like an award ceremony. My son had a hockey tournament. My daughter graduated pre-K and then my son had an award show for school And I was like, I cannot miss any of these things. Like, I have to be there. (laughs) And so I was very adamant that this baby could not come until school let out. And uh, that put me at 42 weeks on the dot. That morning, I got a, a message from, like, his teacher. And the way she, like, worded it, I can't even remember what she said, but, like, the way she worded it was, like, she wouldn't see us later in the day. And so I was, like, messaged her, and I was, like, hey, what about the award ceremony? And she said, oh, we decided to just pass those out yesterday because of COVID, which my son was at his dad's house, so I didn't know that they sent him home the day before. I was, like, okay, let's get this ball moving. So I like, (laughs) sounds, sorry, I'm not prudish at all, but I went and masturbated and orgasmed and started contractions and kept them up with nipple stimulation. Once they started, like I found that rhythm, I was able to keep labor going until contractions started going. So then I was like, all right, let's finish cleaning the house. We got to (laughs) hurry. So we were cleaning the house because I'm a neat freak. Then I was like, oh, we should probably go to the store and get last minute stuff, groceries and stuff. And so I wanted, I was like, we got to go by the laundromat first though. So here I am, my list, my short list of clean the house has now turned into go to the laundromat. Oh, but we can't go to the laundromat without going to Chick-fil-A to get ice. So we got to go to Chick-fil-A to get ice go back to the laundromat, pick up clothes. Then we got to go to the store and get groceries. (laughs) Oh, but I wanted a snack. So we had to go and get me a sandwich from one of my favorite cafes. And I'm like full on throes of labor and I'm just, I'm enjoying it. I was so enthralled in it. Like it was truly a different experience. Like I was, I knew what I was doing. I knew my plan because I knew what went wrong the last time and where we needed to avoid we did not use the shower head we used get this the washer and dryer hookups oh who would have thought that would have been so much easier to fill up a birth school you learn (laughs) something every time yes you do and it's so cool but um you know I went to the store and after we went to the other places that we did first and I remember like being in Publix and I was having contractions and I mean they were good active labor contractions and like I was having to stop and like really concentrate on my breath I did like the last like two or three weeks of my pregnancy with him I kind of looked into just casually looked into um hypnobirthing 
Like I didn't really like want to devote a whole pregnancy to it, which I could totally see as being beneficial. I just, with as many kids as I do, I didn't have the, the ability to dedicate that much to that, but I did give it a good couple weeks, good couple solid weeks. And, uh, it was good. Like I learned a lot and I really attribute like my ability to handle my contractions so much better because of that. I mean, everybody was looking at me like I was a crazy person. Like, why is this pregnant woman in labor in freaking Publix shopping and doing all the things like, why, (laughs) why is she not screaming her head off? And I'm like, I'm fine. This is great. This is what I need. I need to be distracted. We were like, it took like an hour and a half to get through Publix because I had to stop to focus on contractions, (laughs) but it was good. It was fun. And, um, after that, I wanted to go get a snack. I was like, I need some food because here I was, I've always had like really long labors, you know, you know, I had 28 hours and then 20 hours and 18 hours. And so I'm like preparing for the long haul. Cause I could, I was managing, I was fine. I didn't need counter pressure or anything like that. I was talking to my doula. She, um, she did have a in-home daycare at the time. And so she's like, do I need to tell my parents to come get their kids or can you wait until three? And I'm like, can wait till three that's not a problem at all like yeah you do your thing don't don't make accountabilities for like don't don't change your plans for me I'm fine and uh it's <laughs> like by this rate I'll be lucky if I have a baby by midnight a friend of mine uh she well she became a friend of mine she was the school resource officer at my daughter's preschool she decided she was going to come and stay with my kids while I was in labor for this one, just to try and help have somebody there for my kids. And, um, I remember she was looking at cars and she asked me, she was like, when she got out of school at two 30, she messaged me and she was like, she was like, I really hate to ask you this, but do I have time to go look at a car right now? I was like, yeah, you're fine. We're in the drive-through at Myers getting me a sandwich. And I'm cool. <laughs> I was like, take your time. It's no rush. And uh, we were leaving Myers. I remember like when I was in Myers, the drive-through, like contractions in the car are absolute hell. They're just awful. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember them being so strong. I was like, I cannot have another contraction in this car. So I opened the door and I'm sticking my, I'm standing outside the door and leaning over my front seat to um, try and keep things, you know, where I can move with my contractions. And not even 10 minutes later, I texted her and I was like, I lied. Don't listen to me. I need your help now. (laughs) So she was like, okay, I'll be right there. (laughs) And so she was there and like, 15 minutes. And at that point it was right at three o'clock. And so I knew my doula wasn't going to be far. She lives about 20 or 30 minutes away from me. So she was on her way at three. And, uh, when my friend got here, that's when I was like really starting to need counter pressure. And so I was like, 
I was like, we need to get the birth tub filled up with water. <laughs> I was like, or else I'm not going to be able to birth in water again. And so I'm sitting here trying to fill up my birth tub. My daughter, who was four at the time, was just so excited and trying to help me. So I told her she was like filling up bowls. I'm going to tell you bowls. I mean like cereal bowls of hot water and carrying it over to the birth pool just so she felt like she had something to do and she had a purpose. (laughs) And it was the sweetest thing ever. And so my friend got there and, you know, she, obviously she's a cop. So she, she didn't really know what to expect. She doesn't have kids herself. So she was just like, what do you need me to do? And I was like, just hold Briar, <laughs> like, keep him out of the water, please. Like I could talk and give direction and stuff, but I could really tell like things were starting to transition. And then, uh, I was mid contraction and my doula finally showed up. It was about three, three forty when she got to my house, I was mid contraction. She just kind of came in and set her stuff down. And, um, as soon as that contraction ended, she was like, Hey, how are you doing? I was like, I'm good. I'm really good. <laughs> She's like, well, where are we at? Has your water broken yet? And I was like, no, not yet. I said, but just so you know, whenever it does eventually break, usually got about 10 minutes before I got a baby in my arms. So you can kind of judge what's going on. She's like, have you checked yourself? I said, no, didn't feel the need to. And she's like, okay, that's cool. Well, next contraction I get, my water breaks. And I was like, okay, here we go. Let's do this. <laughs> and uh, like all of a sudden, like, I felt my water break. And I mean, if you look at my pictures, my birth tub was not filled up at all. (laughs) Like we had just started trying to get it filled and I ran out of hot water. So we were filling it up with water from the stove and we just couldn't get it boiling fast enough because the pot was so big. But as soon as my next contraction hit, I could feel him engage and he started crowning, which was really exciting. And um, it was like the first time that I really like wasn't afraid to feel it, I guess. Like I didn't shut it out. I don't know. I don't know how you'd word that, but I uh, actually physically reached my hand down to feel his head, which was so cool. Definitely recommend it. Um, It took me a while to like work the nerve up to do that I don't know why I thought it would scare me but it actually like helped being able to physically feel him um like tactile with my hands versus just feeling him internally but I felt his head come out came out in two pushes and I wasn't even like pushing at that point I was really I wanted to rely on the uh the ejection reflex, which was so cool. So, so cool. So I, um, I felt his head come out and waited for my next contraction. Like at that point, like I can feel his body, like he was more aggressive when he was turning. Like if you learn about birth or whatever, you know, when baby first descends after their head comes out, 
they have to turn to get their shoulders in an optimal position to fit through the pelvis. And I could feel him like jerking his body into position. It was the craziest thing. Like I felt it with my other babies, but it was not near as strong and aggressive as it was with him. And like, I could feel, I just knew that he was going to end up coming out with a nuchal hand because I could feel it. (laughs) I could feel his hand right up by like trying to come out, but luckily it stayed put. I guess it slid down as he was coming out. Um, but I caught him. He was my first one that I caught. I've always had someone else catch the baby because I was always afraid going back to like my first, I was afraid of holding them the first time. Like, you know, with Aiden, I was so, I was so struck by the fear of not being able to hold my baby that I was afraid to do that with my others. And so that was always a, a right that I had relinquished, not something that I was really even aware that I consciously aware that I did. Um, but looking back, I definitely did it. I was just afraid, but this was the first time that I caught him. He came out in the water. He was absolutely beautiful. And, um, it was, it was so magical. <laughs> like it was, it was the best birth experience that I could ever ask for. Like it gives me all the feels and the happy feels inside when I talk about it. Um, it was, it was truly, truly magical. Like it, it is so possible to have a truly transformative birth. And had you told me that I would have a birth like Lennox's when I was carrying Aiden, I never, never in my wildest dreams would have thought that was possible ever, ever. Like I never could have imagined that for myself, but it was, it was truly transcending. Yeah, just your overall journey is, has been so incredible to listen to just from where everything started all those years ago to this birth that was only, you said four months ago? Yeah, four months ago. He, he turned four months on the 25th. Um, and, and I mean, he's, he's amazing. He's, that birth was everything. Um, you know, I ended up rocking my placenta. It came out about 40 minutes after you know, after he was born, I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried about it. Never had any hemorrhages, never even had to take an ibuprofen. Like it was just truly blissful. And it's, it's so empowering. It's healing and it's empowering. And that's really, you know, why I chose to do this is because I I can talk birth all day long. Like I have had pretty much every, every step from truly traumatic to, to the magnificent blissful home birth that we all envision, you know, um, and it's totally possible, you know, even when the medical industry tells you that it's not possible, it's so possible. And it it might seem radical to some, but it's really not that far out there. It is as many people make it out to be. Would you say that this birth has changed you in other ways too? Like just beyond believing in your body and having that empowerment, but even as a mother. Absolutely. It has, you know, um, and I think, 
it stems back ultimately from having that regained sense of trust in my body and, and, and just our bodies in general, we've, we've traveled so far away from being able to just trust in our bodies and know that if something is wrong, it will let us know. And that's when you react, you don't need to do prophylaxis and everything else. And I tell my kids this all the time. If you're eating healthy, you're drinking water and you get enough sunlight and enough sleep, your body will do the rest. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not a science thing. You don't have to put a, you know, there's no sense for all of the extra that we, we try and complicate it with. You know, if you're doing those things and you just listen to what your body tells you, then you'll be fine you know? And so I've kind of taken that approach with everything, you know? Yeah. We, we just need to we get don't out. Have to complicate every, we don't have to overcomplicate everything. And I feel like in the 21st century, it, everything is complicated. Now we have all these things and technologies and stuff, but it, it's really not necessary. Yeah. It's helpful in some aspects, but it also has its downsides too. And I think that's a big part of it is we just become so dependent on having a system or a protocol or a person who's always a step above us, who's always telling us how to do things that we don't know how to think for ourselves. So that's, that's a big thing for me is just teaching my kids to learn to be independent and free thinking and make their own decisions because you don't need somebody to always tell you how to do something, especially when it's something like give birth. Right. Your body knows how to do that. We just need to get out of the way of our bodies and stop interfering and causing all of these extra problems that wouldn't be there in the first place. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Is there anything that you would tell a mom who is currently weighing her options or just trying to decide what to do any words of advice or things that you have learned along the way that you haven't already mentioned find a village and find one that doesn't think you're crazy um if somebody is constantly you know like just inciting fear then really acknowledge that is this is this a voice that i need to acknowledge or is this one that I need to tune out? Because I feel like as new moms, like you aren't told these things. Like I had no idea, no idea at all. But if you can find the right village who can help steer you, like the one birth group that I joined, um, and yes, it is radical, but that being said, it also pushes these women to truly think for themselves and make the, the intentional thought of what to say without using medical words. And that's, that's where I said that, that word is so key because it, it truly changes everything, but finding, finding a support that can help foster that for you, um, is, is truly a big, big thing. Well, thank you so much just for being willing to share everything and walk us through the journey that you've been on. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.